So welcome to the Armchair Trader podcast. And uh, this week we're talking about gold mining and specifically and unusually, we're talking about gold mining in Scotland, um, which is a jurisdiction you don't often hear us um, discussing gold mining in. Um, and to talk to us today, we've got Phil Day, who's joining us from Scott Gold Resources, um, a listed Scottish gold miner. Welcome to the program, Phil. Thank you very much for having me. A lot of our a lot of our listeners will be familiar with uh, gold mining, but um, may be um, surprised to hear that there is actually a um, gold mine uh, up in Scotland. It's not really a jurisdiction we associate with gold mining. Um, can you give us a, a quick overview of um, what Scottish gold mining looks like? Because it, it's not really a very crowded field, is it? Uh, no, it's not a crowded field at all. So um, it basically consists of uh, one company that's in operations. There are a few others, I believe, that are uh, doing some exploration work. Um, but uh, no, I'm, I'm proud to say that we're the only operating gold mine up this way, um, and actually in Scotland uh, together. Um, and we are both a operator and an explorer. Can you give us a, a, a sort of brief overview of Scott Gold Resources, what the company looks like? Yeah, sure. So Scott Gold has a flagship asset called the Conanish Gold Mine. It is uh, close to Tindrum Town on the road between uh, east and west of Scotland in the, in the Highlands, in, right in the middle of uh, the, the National Park. Um, we are mining in an underground mine uh, through a portal on the side of a hill and we have a processing facility on site as well to make the uh, or make two products where we make a concentrate product and we make a gold uh, gravity product as well of which we then later sell uh, down through the Grangemouth ports and off to uh, refineries in around the UK. And what was the, we hear a lot about the impact of COVID on, on mining and disruption of the mining industry. We've heard about um, how uh, lots of mines, for example, in places like uh, British Columbia and, and Mongolia and were, were shut down and also in South Africa. What was the impact of the pandemic on, on your mining activity in Scotland? Look, it was, it, was, it was difficult for us like it was for everyone else. Uh, back in 2020, it, uh, you know, we, had, we shut the mine down for various times when we, we needed to comply with the, uh, the national regulations at the time. But then when it reopened, uh, we had to just manage manage the situation, manage it very, very carefully with uh, policies and procedures and you know, having uh, distance measures and cleanliness of tables and cleanliness of work, uh, workplaces for individuals. Uh, we have a uh, local uh, accommodation inside in Tindrum itself as well. So we had to do a lot of testing of our people because they're obviously on a, on a rotating uh, work shifts patterns. So every time they came back, we had to retest them and you know test them when they're in here so that we never, we never really had any individual outbreak that caused us to shut down outside of the government-regulated shutdowns. We'll, so we'll carefully manage that. Um, but we did get up to peaks of, say, 10 or 15 people off at any given time. And those people had to work from home and then, uh, and then come back in when they, when they were allowed to. So, look, it was, it, was, it was an extremely tough, tough time. 
And me personally, it meant I had to you know, learn how to go into the control room and run the control room at times that I needed to. So we all had to you know, double down, triple down, quadruple down onto positions to make sure the place ran. And uh, But at the same time, you know, the camaraderie, the, 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 the spirit of the people, the way that they all learnt and the skills that they all gained and, you know, the cross-sectional issues a lot of minds have that we didn't because we were able to just all do each other's jobs. And I think there was a real benefit from it as well. So we all learnt a lot and we all come out of it a lot better. You're, you've obviously been in the mining industry for quite a long time, over 25 years. You've worked in a number of different jurisdictions. Do, do you see any differences or advantages inherent in, in, in mining in Scotland versus, say, um, you know, some of the other jurisdictions that you've worked in? It's always difficult to answer that question because there are, there are positives and there's negatives. The, I'll talk front and centre about the negatives. The negatives is always the, the safety implications of working with a workforce that doesn't understand the inherent dangers of, of mining because it does obviously have them uh, alive and present. So when you are, you know, you're exploding underground and you're using uh, machines that uh, are running 24 hours, uh, there's always potential for people to get hurt, right? So using it or having an inexperienced team um, for the first few months was was difficult but we had to focus in on doing a lot of training we had to rely on the people that uh, do have the experience and were able to you know use good frontline uh, leadership skills of getting out there and talking and training and and making sure that they work very hard on on competency-based training not just training per se in a, in a nutshell since i joined in april we haven't had one serious incident it was but it was always always something that was in the front of our mind, front and centre, that it could potentially happen. And we just managed it very, very well by just intensifying our levels of supervision and commitments. Effectively, it translates that I just lived on site pretty much every single day for the whole year of 2021. But that's what has needed to be done. That's what happens and is required. And now we have a, a, a team of people that are extremely competent. You know, I've got uh, a lot of people who've never done mining before in their life in supervision pos- uh, positions, uh, extremely inquisitive uh, always wanting to learn always wanting to do things but they've got the natural skills of leadership or natural skills of you know people of how to manage other people so um, I'm, I'm just very happy to say they're they're uh, you know a significant jump of uh, of trained people since since this time last year and talking about canonish glen uh, which is where the mine is located i mean if you look at some other sort of what i would call mature gold jurisdictions like taking just the British Columbia as an example, there's a lot of history of mining and prospecting in these areas. And a lot of the junior miners have a very good idea of where the historic seams are, what's been worked on, what hasn't, where the claims are, etc. Scotland, I mean, the British Isles, if you look at British Isles mining, um, there are obviously other miners active um, here. But you know, whereas we've got a, a a long history in say tin mining, it's not really been seen as a as a big producer of gold. So how did how was the the original um, resource located? Luck? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, it was very well uh, researched. Uh, the geological history effectively form formulated a a, a theory that the the gold band actually starts from in and around New Newfoundland and, and makes its way through the Atlantic up into 
Northern Ireland and, and it skims across into Scotland and then probably ends up over into Sweden. So that theory was tested a few times and a few uh, sampling and, and or exploration programs were done both in Northern Ireland and Newfoundland and Scotland. And each one of those three countries are, you know, now either in operations or definitely at the higher levels of exploration. And then there's obviously a lot of science to it and there's a lot of reasons and how they were able to test that. And, it, and it's, a, it's another two or three hour discussion in itself, but it, uh, it wasn't found just by a miracle. It was, it was very well researched, very well understood if, if you look back at the geological formation history. And now, now we've obviously, the, the COVID uh, pandemic is receding. What's, what's the production looking like um, at the mine at the moment? Uh, it's wonderful. We, uh, the, this particular year, we had to make a decision in the first quarter to open up our mine because it's a, it's it, it's it's literally on a on a on a mountain itself. So we have one portal going in one side. Uh, so you can definitely focus in on one side if you really really wanted to. But the the, the better approach was to open it up by continuing to mine all the way across. So it meant that we had to have a few difficult months by design. A difficult design, uh, but now that means that we've opened up both sides of the vein itself, um, and we can then access the areas that we know are higher grade, uh, which is always going to be the case um, because that's what grade control mining is all about. Versus uh, mining mining just on the resource uh, model, um, so our data is just becoming more and more consistent, it's becoming much more accurate. The more we mine, the more we know. And that means we get to pick and choose where we want to mine. So even as we're developing further and further to get more and more access, we can mine areas, you know, we're higher grade and lower grade in order to make sure we just maintain that revenue. Um, and this is all underpinned because of what I said previously, the the team uh, on the mine front and on the processing front were, were able in 2021 to ramp it up so quickly and so efficiently and so effectively uh, that we're now running you know, availabilities on the process plant in the 90s. We're hitting 3,000 tons per annum, sorry, per month quite readily, quite easily. Um, we've done mill relines now three or four times, so the guys have never done that before and they can do it. Um, so one would almost say it's kind of very, very steady. Um, and opening up the mine itself is the, is the critical part in, you know, in order for us to, to step forward into the next phase, which is to go from the 3,000 up to 6,000. Because you can imagine you just need more and more development tunnels, you need more and more ventilation, you need more and more power for it to open up and larger and larger. And as at the same time, these, we need to do some debottlenecking exercises on the process plant through thickeners and all sorters and little things like that. Um, so they both come up together at the same rate to get up to 6,000. So, you know, to answer the first question, we're at the 3,000. We've been doing it for quite a lot of months now. But now that we're able to access good gold grades all the time consistently whilst we're developing at the same time, so it doesn't mean we're high grading as some people sometimes accuse us of. We're not doing that at all. We are mining the, the, the vein as it needs to be and picking and choosing and developing and the like as is required. But it wasn't like that at the beginning. We just had to get across that. A critical mass of uh, of tunnel development in order for us to get to this stage. That's where we're at now. But the real excitement is to go from where we are up to the to, to phase two, which is the six thousand tons per month, which I believe will hit by Q one Q two of next year, because our fixed costs are so high. They're sitting in around about the eighty percent. So any particular incremental change we get in in ounces of gold through tons of uh, material through the mine and the process plant is just extra revenue. 
And we believe that extra revenue is going to be sitting in the 34 million mark um, per annum um, sometimes next year. And with our costs being, uh, as is quoted, around about 544 per ounce, basically the place becomes a bit of a cash cow. And it's all because it's a high-grade mine. It's just, it is unbelievably high-grade. It's beautifully high-grade would be the word. I, I can't overestimate it. I keep showing people the video drone footage and taking people on the ground and showing them because sometimes the vein just goes way larger than our development drifts. You know, up to four meters wide vein sometimes. Um, it just keeps giving us, it's unbelievably high grade, sitting sometimes up to 40 grams per ton, sometimes 30, but on average between 16 and at the moment, I think we're about 20 grams per ton. So it's beautiful in a word. Yeah, that's huge. Absolutely glorious. And I mean, you're obviously in a, in a, in a, a quite a good position because the mine is already making money. Um, presumably that allows you to then fund further exploration and development. Well, this is the thing. We were down in one to one this week uh, trying to answer that particular question ourselves. We've got this quandary where we're, you know, we've got, we've got a head above water making money. We've got the loan that we uh, were gracefully given by Fernwealth out of Switzerland and a bit of consortium of investors. And uh, we've got, so we've got a lot of good backers with the original loan providers and through and our board as well, who was also you know, uh, largely invested in the company. So we've got a lot of very good backers to help us get to where we are. And yes, we do make money, but then it's just a matter of time because, like I said, with mining, it's one of these things that I know it's a bit of a nuance, but it kind of hopefully makes a lot of sense is that as you start to develop more and more and more of the mine, you get more and more access to get more and more of the gold. Yes, your revenue starts going up and up and up, but that means you, you have to wait a while until your cash really starts to flow into the company. So option A is we just wait. You know, we wait until the cash reserves pull up and then we go into exploration and then we go into this and we go that. But realistically for us, it, we thought and we'd, we'd love it to happen. It would be far more exciting if other people got on board and actually, you know, took like a, a, a really nice investment within the company, particularly in a say maybe and, and take an equity stake. And uh, we would just take that money and just use it straight away for exploration now and then make this place look super exciting, much more exciting than what I'll just describe where you're making a cash cow. And imagine we've got a 34 million per annum revenue company with potentially about 21 million um, EBITDA plus exploring to make it more than nine-year mine life, maybe you say 18-year mine life, plus go and actually find out some other ones as well. And we could be in the half a million ounce sort of company really, really quickly. So pushing ourselves from the 40 million market cap to potentially, you know, what, 100, 200, 300 million, yeah? And we, we employ 90 people now, so each one of those other ones is going to employ another 90 people, another 90 people, you know? So you know, we, we, we're just getting the, so many benefits, benefits to the local community, benefits from the, to, to the shareholders, benefits to the directors, benefits to everyone who invests. So, yeah, so hopefully that answers the question. We, we are at that point where we really, really would like to know what to do now because waiting, yes, I can. But I think it'd be just so much more exciting for people to get on board now and get in and help us and uh, and take part of and become part of the success that this place is. And arguably, a lot of the hard work's already been done. Like we went through all the COVID expand, sorry, construction. Then we went through COVID again in all the ramp up where other people probably weren't doing. We're now not exposed to you know huge, massive commodity price changes and like because we've done all of that construction. We're in operations and. Uh, yeah, and that's just a waiting game once we, the mine itself has opened up sufficiently. 
but God, it would be cool if we could just get out some drill holes out there and excite the world. I think that would uh, that would change this place significantly. And I hope you agree. No, I would agree with you definitely. And and obviously, if there's any major fund managers out there who are busy in the gold space, then uh, it might be worth a look for them. I mean, in terms of the plans you do have on the table, um, obviously, you know, someone comes in, takes a big stake in the company. That's a big, big injection of cash. Um, but as as things stands as as things stand at the moment, what's your what are your plans looking like over the next twelve months? Uh, well, twenty twenty two is the year uh, to work off the base of the transformational year of twenty twenty one. So that's what we call it. We had to do effectively a turnaround in twenty one to get it to work, to get it to ramp up, to get the confidence back that it was actually a working asset. Then when we go into 2022, this is a year of growth. So every single quarter has got to achieve a certain target. So the first quarter was the pain quarter. We had to develop. We had to get more tunnels. We did that. Going into quarter two, uh, April alluded to in my last RNS was, well, it was, a, it, was a, it was a bumper number. And when you'll see the number, people will probably get pretty excited about that. Uh, May is turning out to be a really cool month as well. I mean, that's why I'm looking quite relaxed because uh, the, the guys are just so well trained and so well competent. They just keep pumping out the concentrate, you know, day after day after day. It's becoming so consistent, which is wonderful because then we're moving when a new thickener arrives to go straight into the growth. We have to get the process plant up to a new level of capacity. Uh, we expect that in the next, uh, next probably in the next month to be up and running. Uh, so then that takes us into the end of Q2 into Q3 with a, a plant that's effectively turbocharged, so to speak. And the mine every single month is, or every single quarter is starting to incrementally increase and increase and increase. And by the back end of the year, I'll be stoping. Now, for people who understand what stoping is, that's where it becomes really cool because basically it means for every bang of a buck, I get a lot more tons. We'll be able to understand exactly where the vein is because our grade control model is so much better at that stage. We'll be blasting beautiful gold material, you know, say up to thousands of tons rather than a hundred odd tons as we do each face at the moment. And a process plant that's deshackled because of the thickener. And, you know, my revenue just goes up. So that's why we call it the growth. We get that out of the way into the back end of the year. And then we get into Q1 of Q2 next year with our all sorter. And that's when we get up to the 6,000 nameplate capacity, the Q, uh, phase two, as we call it. And that's when we start getting those revenues that I previously quoted. This year is all about the growth from from the hard, hard work base that was last year. So different type of work, a bit more, you know, thinking sort of approach, a bit more, got a plan, a plan, a bit more exposed to uh, uh, what's the things being delivered and the like on time, a bit more of that. But uh, when they do come and they arrive on site, they just achieve step changes for us and Every new step changes gives us new material and more revenue, and yeah, and, and hopefully uh, just keeps us on that projection all the way through into next year with uh, when we each uh, phase two. And with with the with the gold that's already coming out of the mine, um, where is that going? Where who, who's who's taking that off your hands? It's currently, it's going down to Grangemouth, and then on Grangemouth, it's uh, put on ships and it's sent around the world uh, to blending facilities before it's. Uh, ultimately enters into China. You'll obviously be a, a beneficiary of any big rise in the gold price. I know some forecasters are, are expecting it to, as inflation picks up, are uh, expecting the gold price to go up above $2,000 an ounce, possibly even further. Do you, will will the operation be a direct economic beneficiary of that? <laughs> yeah, of course, in a word, absolutely. And uh, 
it phase one as a, as a, as I alluded to before I'm making money I didn't really expect to be making as much money as I am now to be absolutely honest with you but we are running very very efficiently quite lean and and a lot better than I anticipated but uh, what that does mean is that obviously any increase in gold price that is from now is, is just you know, it's just cream for us so it enables us to do more of our growth plans that we originally anticipated so but you know the gold price, I guess, when when the project was initiated, was what around about twelve hundred and like. So we're experiencing in, in US dollar terms, um, and these days uh, we're experiencing up to what eighteen nineteen hundred US dollars. So it's very very fortunate. But if it hits two thousand plus, then what it will do is it will just enable us to pay back our debt holders much faster, and it'll enable us to just get into growth and to exploration, and it will really unshackle the company a lot more. Just really allow us to go out and do some exploration and find out how big this uh, this gold ridge or this gold or body or gold uh, deposit what we would like to call it actually is i mean i personally have to have looked at the 2900 square meters that we actually have under our license from down to the coast that way to that way you know if i looked at some of them if we actually expanded two or three of them at the time we could like i said we could be enormous and therefore a, a massive employer of Scottish people. In some of your recent uh, communications to the market, you've mentioned um, how there's scope to make the, the overall mine more efficient, um, which would obviously increase uh, profit margins as well. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so in parallel to growth, um, because we are in the, in the, the National Park, uh, we, we are held to incredibly tight... Um, boundaries of what we're allowed to do or what we're not allowed to do as you possibly can imagine and would expect actually right so as a result of that we use dry stack tailings rather than have tailings impoundments um, it's again very technically difficult compared to conventional tailings because in conventional tailings you can just pop it out and you just put it into a containment pond and that's it us we have to dry it to a certain moisture content it has to be done absolutely specifically and then it's a batch process so you have every single batch has got to be checked and chest tested and made sure it's actually on spec before it's uh, laid out so we've made those commitments already which is you know credit to the people who did all the design and, and the commitment to the process and commitment to the people that uh, you know allow the permit to go ahead that they actually insisted on that so well done to them uh, but now stepping forward, there's you know a few more things that we could do. We are still not currently connected up to the mains power grid, which we definitely want to do to be connected to wind and hydropower. Uh, we'd like to put some solar panels on all of the roofs of our buildings and light to make sure the buildings themselves can roll solar with battery backups and light. That would also be very good for us. Um, I'd love to move our mining fleet across over to batteries if we can. They're small enough. They seem to be able to do that and all our light vehicles. And uh, you know, get our carbon footprint down to as minimal, minimal as possible. Um, just that on top of all the way that we comply with the with the, the national park requirements. I think it would just mean that we'd be the would be one of the leading contenders to be one of the cleanest mines in the world. I would say. So I, I mean, this is one one thing I did want to ask you about uh, before we finish, and that is, you're located in a national park. Um, I live. I live not far away from a national park in in uh, Sussex, where there's been efforts to carry out um, fracking, which which generated a lot of local opposition. Um, if you're if you're um, working in something like a UK national park in particular, you're obviously dealing with very very tight uh, ESG controls. You've mentioned a few things you're already doing there. Um, 
Can you can you tell us a little bit more about that and about how you're making sure that the impact of the actual mine is 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 minimized completely in the in the case of this? In an engineering world, the best way to eliminate risk is to uh, just to supplement uh, to eliminate completely. Uh, so in the case of the design, they use that approach, which means if you don't need to use something and you can get away with not using it, then don't use it. So you don't use any chemicals, as an example, that other mines of gold mines would use, a la cyanide. So we do not have that. We would never be able to, we would never expect to be able to. So we use minimal amount of chemicals, and the only chemicals that we used have all been certified and like through SEPA, very similar to the sort of chemicals that they may use on water treatment plants and the like. So we try not to use any chemical or not allowed to use any chemical that is not allowed to be used. So that is from a water uh, potential pollution effectiveness. So we, we would do that incredibly well to, and we monitor any discharges and and we, we test and we test thoroughly and make sure we you know put out those reports every single month and put our hand and just say, that's the way we're going to run. Secondly, then a sound uh, plant and mine, uh, mine particularly is underground plant was designed within a building that is such, was built in such a way that uh, you can stand down here at the bottom of the farmhouse and honestly you wouldn't have a clue that there's any mining activities going around because there's no sound, absolutely none. It's 100 decibels inside the building where we've got mills and crushes and everything inside. But because of the way it was designed, there's zero sound down here, which means that the people that are walking, uh, walking along the tracks and that, are not in any way, shape or form impacted by sound, nor water quality, nor smell, nor any sort of amb ambience effectively to tell them there's mine. The only real way they'd know is because I've got a little sign on the gate over at the entrance to the mine itself to say that this is a gold mine. If it wasn't there, you could probably be accused of not even having a clue that there's a mine in the area. So that's the way to answer that question. We 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 judge ourselves based on the fact that no one knows that we're here, and that is the way we like it. I guess it's fair to say you're probably uh, one of the cleanest gold mines in the world. Well, I'd love to uh, be tested in that case, but yes, I believe so. I mean, we're held to such a high accord. Um, and uh, you know, and if we do just the things that uh, are being told, plus we do the other, like I said, with sound and the like, and plus that we're lucky enough to have such a very clean concentrate from the the, the geology. The geology here is what makes this whole mine work. Uh, the geology uh, enables the the gold to be of such high grade, and it also enables the concentrates and like to be such pure. Uh, quality that uh, our off-takers just want to buy it for the cleanliness that it, it provides. So that, that those two principles enables us to really work into the national park as easily as we do. A lot of others may not have the same because, you know, they may have nasties and whatnot in their, in their, in their concentrates. So not all would be as lucky, even if they tried to do what we do, they might not be as lucky because of their geology is what I'm saying. Um, well, thank, thanks very much indeed for coming on, on the podcast today. That's been really interesting and, and telling us a little bit more about that. And uh, if anyone wants to find out more about the company, uh, there's a, an awful lot of information on Scott Gold Resources' website as well, which you can find at scottgoldresources.com. Plenty of information there on Canonish Glen and also um, some of the other activities um, with the company. So um, thank you very much indeed, Phil, for coming on the show today. No, you're more than welcome. Thank you very much for having me.
You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Make sure you visit our website, www.thearmchairtrader.com, for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.